Good morning, Stockholm Community Church, and a happy Father's Day to you and to you and to you. <laughs> hey, each and every one of us has a dad, good or bad, known or unknown. We all have a dad, and that is something we should celebrate, that for the simple reason we exist, but hopefully there are many more reasons than that. Recently, Carolyn and I made our way back to the U.S. to clear out our storage closet we had rented, not knowing what to do with our last remaining items, and also with the small thought in the back of our head of, what if we move back to the U.S.? Well, Stockholm Community Church, the storage closet is empty because we don't see ourselves moving back to the U.S. anytime soon. We have a kingdom to build and a kingdom culture to help spread. And while digging through thousands of pictures before everything became digital, I came across these two photos that are two of my best memories of my dad. One is, is when my dad taught me how to fish with a little toy fishing pole on the edge of a lake of a cabin we used to go to. As I look past through my memories, that really is one of the few childhood memories that I have of my dad. The second one is after my dad's sobriety and years of growing together as father and son and, and really close friends. And this is my dad and I standing in front of Blarney Castle in Ireland. It was our chance to kind of recapture for some of those missed family trips and also to just kind of dig into our Irish heritage. Ah, for the glory of the Lord. It was a, it was a mighty, it was a mighty moment. So the blessing and the obstacle for me of growing up without a present dad is that I had the freedom and the responsibility to define what it means to be a man. And in that, a son, a friend, a husband, and a dad. So I've entitled today's message, What's a Man Gotta Do? <laughs> this definition of manhood is not from Hollywood or from social media or some marketing team. This manhood is with the kingdom culture in mind. So what's a man gotta do to be a man? What's a man gotta do to be honored? And what's a man gotta do to be loved? Well, get your Bibles warmed up because we're gonna answer these questions by diving into the Old Testament. We're gonna step into two key moments of the life of Israel, and then we're gonna finish in the Gospel of Matty. You might know him as Matthew, but, but come on, he's a Matty. Hey, Matty, what do you gotta say about this? He's gonna tell us. So some of the portions of scripture, I just wanna give you this heads up, that we're referencing today are significant in size, and for that reason, I'm enclosing all the references in the comments section. And I encourage you to read one portion a day this week so that you can see the added details around these events that we're going to highlight today. The first story we step into, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. If you want to flip there now, you can, but I'm just going to keep moving. What's a man got to do to be a man? At some point, a man has to sacrifice something significant for what he believes. I'll say it again. At some point, a man has to sacrifice something significant for what he believes. 
and the early pages of Genesis were introduced to Abram, whose name becomes Abraham. And what an incredible journey of faith. God promised to make him the father of a nation. One hiccup in the plan. Abraham was without an heir. And the clock wasn't ticking down. The clock had run out. They were well beyond the years of childbirth. And God reminds them of this promise through the visit of an angel and gives them a date that this promise will be fulfilled. This seemed so ridiculous at this stage of Sarah's life, Abraham's wife, that she actually laughed at the mention of it. We see moving forward that in Genesis 2, Isaac, the son of promise, has grown and is joining Abraham on a trek to make an offering. This journey to worship God was from Beersheba to Mount Moriah, a hundred kilometer journey over mountainous terrain. I don't, you, you heard me hiccup there, kilometer, because like in my head I go kilometer, kil, kilometer, kilometer. We're going to go with that. Don't, don't make any comments right now. Just, just go with me, people. If, if I blew it, just throw mercy on me. Kilometer, kilometer, kilometer. 100 kilometer journey over mountainous terrain. Let's take a second and think about this. We're asking you to move from your bed to your sofa to be a part of the service at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. In all honesty, because you're on a device, you don't even have to move to your sofa. We're just asking you to roll in your bed, reach over, grab the phone, and turn it on and jump on Facebook or Vimeo or what have you. <sighs> so God called Abraham to walk roughly four days from his home to worship God. And this was a heavy journey. Not just because of the, not just because of the provisions uh, that they would need to take, and not just because of the wood they would need to carry for the sacrifice, but because Father God had placed on Abraham's heart the necessity to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. Abraham was committed to God and to God's promise. But I'll be honest, I can't imagine the conversation that's going on or maybe even the negotiations that are going on in Abraham's heart as they make this four-day journey. When they arrive at the base of the mountain, they leave the servants and then they travel up the mountain and Isaac asks, Dad, what about the sacrifice? And Abraham responds, the Lord will provide. The altar was built, and Abraham shared with Isaac God's request. Isaac lays down on the altar. And at the final moment, God refrains Abraham's hand, and behold, just a few meters away, a perfect ram is trapped in a thicket. The ram is sacrificed, and God gives a picture of his current and his coming love. Abraham was a man of God and his willingness to follow God no matter what, to give no matter what. God knew what kind of man he had in Abraham. And now Isaac knows what it means to be a man of God. The willingness to sacrifice 
even that which is most precious to you. The next story we step into, 1 Chronicles 21, verses 21 through 30. King David, a man after God's own heart, David was anointed king by Samuel in the privacy of his own home among his family. And this secret was kept within the family, but David's fame grew as he excelled as a worshiper and as a warrior. But as David's fame grew, the crowd started to recognize his greatness, and this led to insecurity in the current king, King Saul. The first roughly 16 years after David's anointing were filled with tribulation and danger. When King Saul was killed in battle in a short season of inter-family skirmishes, David was recognized as the king of Israel. David was unstoppable. Military success gave way to military success, and the kingdom of Israel grew substantially. And in 1 Chronicles 21, David allows himself to be tempted. David declared a census. Now, there are many censuses in the scripture. So the census itself is not evil, but the intent of this census was. A census has a twofold purpose. One, numbering the people, and two, taxation. Many of us think that might be evil in itself. Why did David want to know the number of his, of his warriors? And why was he collecting money at this time? God was growing the kingdom and God was providing. What was David looking to lean on? Was he going to lean on God or lean on material resources that he could provide for himself? So again, this was considered evil to God. So uh, God's spirit convicts David in verse 8, and David immediately repents and seeks forgiveness. But sin has consequences. And God places before David three, uh, three choices of punishment. David picks the shortest lasting punishment of pestilence for three days. And the pestilence comes and it starts taking the lives of his people. But God withholds the full extent of his wrath and commands David to make a sacrifice. See, David sees the angel of God's judgment standing over the threshing floor of Ara Unah. I did that wrong. Over the threshing floor of Arunah the Jezubite. <clears throat> David determines to build the altar there and Arunah offers the threshing floor, offers the cattle, and offers the wooden oak to build the fire for the altar and for the sacrifice. David refuses Arunah's charity and declares, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. What's a man got to do to be honored? David shows us a man has to take responsibility. A man has to take responsibility for his faith and his failures. David's prayer of repentance was, God, this is my sin. Please don't harm the people. And this is the moment God spares Jerusalem. 
David now chooses to appropriately pay for the land, the cattle, and the implements that will make the altar and the fire. This is my sin, and this cost should be carried by me and me alone. This is kingdom culture thinking. Now, Paul states in Galatians 6, 17, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Following Christ will leave its marks. It will cost us. Some marks will be visible. Some marks will remain out of sight. Every man knows a man who is marked by honor. You can just sense it when you step into their presence. You want to be honored by the people that matter to you? Be honorable. Take responsibility. Pay the price. Do the work, no matter the cost. We live in a time where honor is more of a punchline than a prize to be pursued. Our social media snapback culture is quick to tear down for any reason one can imagine. Let the noise be the noise. At the end of the day, if the people that know you the most respect you the most, then you are a person of honor. And I would add this, a quote that has been central to my life for many, many years. Would the boy you were be proud of the man you are. Would the boy you were be proud of the man you are? Now, I want to add, we can quickly judge ourselves harshly. But there is a huge chasm between judging ourselves harshly and not being able to look at ourselves in the mirror. Would the boy you were be proud of the man you are. And I know this, that the closer I walk with Jesus, the easier that question is to answer. Third point, or maybe I should say third question. What's a man gotta do to be loved? You, we, men, we have to tear down the barriers that separate even if we built the barriers, the barrier may have had a purpose for a season, but love is about access. Love is about openness. Love doesn't accept separation. Love seeks oneness. In Matthew 27, verse 45 through 54, we see the final moments surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and death. Now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land. And we're going to jump ahead a little bit. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He took his last breath and he went to be with Father God. And the scripture continues, and behold, the temple of the curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened. 
And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion saw those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, they saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. The temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The temple was roughly 15 to 18 feet, uh, around five meters in height. And Joseph, a historian of the day, reports that the curtain itself was four inches thick, eight to 10 centimeters. Josephus adds that if you were to tie a horse to each end of the curtain, they would not be able to tear it apart. The temple curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Father God established the tabernacle as the children of Israel were leaving Egypt and on their way to the promised land. That led to the design and the construction of the temple. And God needed mankind to understand his holiness. But it wasn't God's original plan for separation. God's original plan was Eden, was oneness with God, was full access. But we chose separation when Adam chose an apple over obedience. Now let me bring these three points together geographically. Did he just say geographically? Ladies and gentlemen, I just said geographically. Point one, what's a man got to do to be a man? Abraham and Isaac took a deliberate 100 kilo, yeah, kilometer journey to worship God. When they arrived at the Mount Isaac, the only son, a son of promise, carried the wood up the mountain the wood that would make the altar of his sacrifice. When he was told of God's plan, Isaac obediently laid himself down on that wood, the wood of the altar. The place was Mount Moriah. Generations later, Israel had fled to Egypt to avoid a famine and from Egypt to escape their slavery. Generations later, still King David leads the growth and expansion of Israel. In his selfishness, David commands a census. David, what were you thinking? <clears throat> his general Joab questions him. He avoided counting two of the tribes because the census was disgusting to him. David is convicted by God and because sin has consequences, a plague is sent. David and the leaders throw themselves on the ground and beg God for mercy. God demands an atoning sacrifice. Aronah sees the king, hears the need for land, cattle, and implements, and Aronah is grateful to generously give these items. But David takes responsibility for his pride and his arrogance and asks to pay for these necessities of worship and offering. And this is the account from 1 Chronicles chapter 21. In 1 Chronicles 
chapter 22. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. The location where David repented and begged God for forgiveness and mercy, Mount Moriah. The exact location where Isaac's sacrifice would have been, but God provided, now becomes the exact location of the temple. Generations later, Israel once again finds itself under the submission of a foreign government, crying out for deliverance. Deliverance comes, but not this time, not through military, not through a military king, <laughs> but from a radical rabbi from Galilee. Jesus turns the religious establishment on its head. He walks into the temple and he is disgusted that the temple has become a dollar store for religious tokenism as opposed to a center for holiness and humility. Jesus, an only son, a son of promise, carries the wood from Mount Moriah to the place of his crucifixion and obediently lays himself down as a sacrifice. Father God looks down and sees what sin has cost man. God withholds his further wrath and he accepts his son's sacrifice for you, for me, and for all of mankind. And in that sacrifice, God, Father God, tears the temple curtain from top to bottom and he opens himself up to us and to all humanity. Jesus gives us full access to a loving Heavenly Father. You want to be a man? What do you got to do? Well, it's been modeled over the history of humanity, and God paints with brilliant colors his sacrifice, his willingness to take responsibility for all our sin, and his willingness to remove every barrier, even a barrier that he had established. He had established it until we were ready <clears throat> to understand and to enter in. Whatever kind of dad you had, whatever kind of dad you are, whatever kind of dad you are going to be, you have a heavenly father that calls you his own. He loves you fiercely and fully. And if you feel isolated and alone, call out to him. If you feel like a failure, call out to him. If you have cost people dearly and you don't know how to make amends, <clears throat> call out to him. Are you ready to be loved like a man by a loving Heavenly Father, then take that step of faith.